Welcome to Alchemy Answers, episode 74. Thank you, as always, for joining us, and thank you to our Patreon supporters for supplying us with the best questions to answer on these streams. If you have not joined our Patreon, check out www.patreon.com slash DotaAlchemy, where you can be part of the exclusive club on our Discord, as well as tune in to our exclusive stream at the end of the month, where you get to pick what heroes we play and basically ruin our lives or at least have us test out some combos that you like. Anyway, let's uh let's get into the questions. Can I just say I don't think I've typed in www for like 10 years. <laughs> All like the zoomers in chat are like what the hell is he www what is he talking about? <laughs> Sorry, I just really dated myself there. Yeah, yeah. Goddamn boomer. Uh okay, the snoodle thug says first question Long-time viewer here, but fresh patron. Ooh, we got a fresh one. I've been spamming Beastmaster recently and have a ton of fun playing him, but I'm unsure of how to adjust my item build uh, for different lineups and game situations. How can I better decide whether to go for Necro, Dom, Auras, and prop to properly order them? Most people seem to rush Necro, but I don't know if I'm efficient enough at using it to justify it. Thank you in advance, homies. Uh, okay. These are deep questions <laughs> right off the bat, just super deep. Like how do yep, you, how yep. do you make itemization decisions in a given game, right? Obviously a lot of it de depends on who you're playing against and then the tempo of the game, the type of damage that you're dying to, what your teammates are dying to, that sort of stuff de depends like it determines what kind of auras you go and then how snowballing you are versus how snowballing your other cores are, how much damage you need to do versus how much defensiveness you need to provide. There's so many different things, but I'll let you take it since you're the offlaner. Sure. So for, for Beastmaster, usually, uh, okay, so Dom and Necro will actually give you the same amount of damage. Uh, Dom will give you more damage if you get like an Ursa, for example, you get the attack speed. Uh, so Dom and Necro are pretty similar in terms of like killing heroes and and also farming, um, but sometimes there are heroes on the enemy team that are really good at at killing uh, creeps, just single creeps, and they're not that good at killing Necros. Um, I would say Necro Rush is more of I'm going to play on my own. I'm going to look for kills, or maybe I'm just going to try to farm really quickly by spamming my Necros off cooldown. That's kind of when I would decide to go for the Necro. It's not so much these days because I feel like Dom is actually just better. Um, Dom is for pushing. Dom is for getting an incredibly early timing and just running at their tower with a creep before they're able to deal with it. That's usually when I get the Dom. And if you have like a Terra Blade, Naga, any of these base damage heroes on your team, that Dom is obviously very good because it it, it gives them damage uh, based on their base damage. So it, it's it's very good with a lot of the the current carries. Uh, with aura items. Um, Another item that I would throw in there to your list is like Blink Dagger. A lot of the time I will not go for any Blink Dagger, but then other times I will go for a Blink Dagger, maybe even like rush it after Dominator or something like that. And that just depends on what you have on your other roles. Do you have a four-roll Earth Spear who's going to be initiating a lot of fights? Do you have a Dragonite with a Blink already? Do you have a Kunkka who's going to be Xing people to start fights? Like how important is it that you get these crucial pickoffs, these, uh, these Primal Roars on people? If that's really important, you want to go for Blink. Uh, yeah. And then with the with the aura items, uh, more often than not in this meta, it is totally unnecessary for you to do any damage. If you have some like Terra Blade on your team, you don't need to build Necro. You you Dom is good because of, it benefits the the um, Terra Blade, of course. 
but you don't need to build in order to like solo kill and do damage because you already have enough damage. You know, all you need to do is build to enable your your core. So that's when I would go like pipe flats, things like that, and just keep them alive and kind of give them the life steal and and play around them instead. That's the that's basically the the decision making. It's like necro is for playing solo. Dom is kind of for pushing. Uh, that's the more generic build, and then the aura items are for buffing your team and blink daggers when you need to pick off and that that's kind of it for beastmaster there's not really much else people are building right now yeah that makes sense to me i i also think that you you have to kind of adjust your play depending on the items obviously you said like necro is kind of for playing solo but if you are getting these or items it means that you have to kind of like take a step back from pushing lanes and kind of sit near your team to enable them with the auras you can't just build a pipe and then just be like solo in the end yeah the of course time, of course right? yeah no, your beast is uh, beast is more often than not played with the team these days. Like, mm -hmm. there's this like three to five minute window after the lane where you just like ran over your lane so hard that you kind of sit top or or sorry top if that's the off lane. You sit in the off lane, pressure their tier two. Uh, you'll probably take their tier one very quickly because the hero's broken, and and then you like kind of group up with your team and play the front lines. You you try to you know you don't sit behind them or anything like that. You're not you're not like a, a bitch ass support or something but you you like play in front of them you play in like the adjacent lane and make your way over you're just constantly connecting with your team and making sure that you can that you can get there when it when it matters um beast is not so much played as this like i'm going to just sit in a lane and farm and if you come here i'm gonna roar you that's like the old beast with the old hawks and the way the way that you, those used to work um you can do it still to some degree it's not as good but you you can't you can do it if it's necessary but most games you can group group up with your team. You can get a lot done on the map. Like you can play kind of modern Dota with with this kind of old style hero. Right. Yeah. Indy says seven minutes. The neutral drop. Should I stop what I'm doing without trying to ruin the lane that I'm supposed to attend to? 15, 25, 40. Rolls? Question mark. At seven minutes of if I'm a position five, if I can remember, I'll stack the small camp at 6.53 and pull at 7.15. If I'm a pause four, I'll try to steal their small camp or side pull at 60.47 to 53. At any other point, unless it's a free tower, I'll ask to go treasure hunting before taking a fight and organize who gets who gets what. I, I don't think it's that important to go for neutral items at like the timings. The only the only one that I felt that there's like a lot of importance in is like the later tier items like four or five probably yeah four and five basically because those are those are actually like pretty big ones it's the later the game goes it feels like the more important those items become to to get but i i, I think i think the issue with the early game and why people don't do that in like high rated games is because it's the, the game is so snowbally that if you if you throw away like a couple of minutes to go jungle items in the first a uh, few minutes of a game you can't get those back and sometimes that's enough to like lose to lose a game so i i got i i have never seen anybody in these like high rated games going for neutral drops at seven minutes and i i think that's just because it's it's not that it's not that important compared to the other stuff that you can be doing at seven minutes like if you just do regular normal person stuff stacking pulling harassing etc you, you'll get the items i mean at that point your carry should be hitting jungle anyway right so like it takes one person to do it. You don't have to go do it. There's yeah. four items. If there was like infinite items, then yeah, I'd say like go stack something and and take those items. But right, I do like the concept of stacking prior to it because that almost ensures that you get all the items that you want 
as quickly as you can. And it's not like it's a negligible amount of net worth that you suddenly just gain. So if you can do it without sacrificing your lane, I think it's fine, but you don't, you definitely want to make sure that um, you are prioritizing like kind of the structure of your draft first in terms of making sure that your lanes are all in good spots and that you're right. securing well, that, the map correctly before you do something that's, like that. That's why I kind of mean like if, if the thing is though, if you're like playing good Dota, if then when everything is already winning, you're going to already be stacking and pulling. You're right. going to already be jungling. You can look at Puppy played Nature's Five. He'll jungle at two minutes if none of his lanes need any help. Mm -hmm. He just jungles because it's extra net worth. So that's the thing is like I would say just fo because the focus has to be on like winning those lanes first. But then the 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 default if you're winning lanes already is already to basically jungle and get extra farm. I don't think you need to focus on it. If you just focus on playing good Dota, you're already going to be focusing on getting neutral items at the right time. You know what I mean? It's like it defaults to the same thing, basically. Yep. Um, I want to quickly answer this question in chat. Has the support meta starting item changed at all with the nerfs to headdress? I would say no. 0.5 regen is not enough to make that an irrelevant item. It's mostly the cost being so low that makes it good. And the fact that you can go like headdress plus several tangos or tango salve or whatever. And people are just kind of realizing that it's much easier to win lanes if you just have a constant high HP regen. Like, Axe is good in the offlane because he has naturally high base regen. Nyx used to be good in the offlane because he has high base regen. Nightstalker, same thing. So if you can just have high base regen on any hero because you have headdress in lane, then you have a pretty good opportunity to win the laning stage. Yeah, headdress is pretty broken. Like you said, it's just too cheap. Uh, Louis says, as a Bane position 5, I made sure that my carry had a great lane, which we did. But our mid got stomped, started rotating, and crushed other lanes. Our off lane then started losing badly. From there, the game spiraled down and we lost the game. As a position 5, what can I do to stop this from happening? It seems like my game's uh, win and loss mostly depend on how well my mid does, and that it has been hard to gain MMR. Okay, for this question, uh, I agree that most of your losses will come from the lanes that you're not in feeding mm -hmm. but the thing with dota is it's not about winning 90 percent of your matches that's not possible no pro player wins 90 percent of their matches uh, even on smurfs people will lose you can go watch lukey lukey smurf he'll lose go watch monkeys forever smurf he'll lose people lose very and, and very stellar players will lose on more smurfs. importantly if you were to put no tail on a position five hero in a 3k game, how much impact do you think you would actually have? A lot of impact, but... But he would still lose because other lanes get stomped. Yeah, that's the sure. thing. That's the thing, is those games are worthless to focus on because that's basically like going and playing a poker match and then focusing on the games where you had a 99% chance to win and then the per then the, the, they draw the one card that gives your opponent the win. You know, it's like, that's sometimes going to happen. That doesn't change how good of a poker player you are. If you've figured out the math in your head, and you're like, there's a 99% chance of, if I win. If you bet on that, that's a good bet, regardless of winning or losing, right? Yeah. So basically what I'm saying is um, in these games, you should focus on, like, did I play well? Did, did I do as much position fiving as I can? And uh, if you did, and then your mid and your offlane just feed, 
who gives a shit? That's a win. Like that's this is this is a a, a concept that I think is pretty important. Uh, this is something that I talked to Moxie about recently. She was saying she was dealing with like ladder anxiety mm-hmm. because she's so sick of like her shitty teammates, et cetera, et cetera. And I basically said like the way that I think you should win at Dota, the way the way that you should uh, grind for MMR, and the way that you should like kind of conceptualize ladder is that your job your focus is not to win the game that is not what your focus is when you're grinding the ladder your focus is isolating a strategy that has the highest percentage chance given your skill and what you prefer and your heroes and the current meta that has the highest percentage chance of winning you the game and if you go into a game and you executed that strategy perfectly which i think is probably unlikely because by definition it's like you know perfectly that's very hard but yep. if you executed that strategy near perfectly and you lose that's a win that's not a loss that's a win because eventually if you keep doing that you will gain mmr and that's why when you say it has been hard to gain mmr i can tell you that it's not your offlane or your mid's fault because even if it was in those particular games that's the same for everybody everybody has those 40 percent of games with their offlaner and their mid feed what happens in the 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 you know t- other 20% of games you have like let's say 30% of games very easy 40% of games you're offline you're mid feed 20% of them those are the games that you can have the impact in so if you were playing to the best of your ability then your win rate would be I- exceedingly high because the 20% you could have an impact in you would so focusing on that 40% over there is a huge debate. You want to focus on the 20% in the middle. I also don't give a fuck about the 30% over here. Am I doing the math right? 40%, 40%. Sounds good to me, dude. You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? 40%, 40%, 20%, right? Yep. 40% of games are free. 40% are impossible. 20% are winnable. And you can have an impact in. People always focus on the fucking 40s. Mm-hmm. Do not focus on these 40%. I don't give a shit if you stomp some noobs in a pub. Stop submitting winning replays. Stop yeah. giving us these. These are worthless. Stop giving us replays where your teammates are idiots and they're throwing and they're feeding. Those don't matter. What matters is the 20% that you could have had an impact in and you fucking didn't for some reason. Yep. And th- that reason is really important. So stop focusing on the wrong targets. And I would say only maybe like one percent of that remaining 20 that we feel like is kind of like the swing mmr the swing wins and losses only maybe maybe less than one percent of those will you actually realize that you are the part of the problem in that because it's very hard to in the moment like dissect hey i feel like i'm being completely useless and those those moments are like they're they're they are very humbling where you're like I'm playing so badly and we're still potentially going to win this game, <laughs> you know, but we might not if I keep playing terribly, like those moments of clarity where you realize like, holy shit, I am so bad right now, or I'm making so many mistakes. And if I could just stop making these mistakes, we will win this game. Like those are very important to be able to like pick up and you can kind of just practice that almost by trying to be a little bit more, um critical of how you're playing the game you know like just that that's why autopiloting is so bad because if you're not like in the game if you're not experiencing it you're not going to pick up on those moments where you're like wow if i could just stop doing this terrible thing we will win this game like you have to be able to do that It, it, it it like goes both ways like you can sit there and you can jerk yourself off all day 
to your 40% wins. That's not going to do shit for you. You can sit there and you can, you know, c- complain and, and um, be like tilted and depressed that your team is losing you the game. That's not going to do shit. What matters is the 20%. And people in chat are saying, how do I know what the 20% are? You don't. And right. that's why in every single game, you should be focusing on having, on having the highest impact possible. Yep. That's why. And in the games where tilt is a factor and a risk, and it's very clear that it's one of those 40% losses, yeah, I think you should, I think you should check out. I think you should just say, I'm done. I, I, I'm not going to care about this game. I'm going to try to have fun. I'm going to avoid getting tilted. That's fine. So if you can't identify them, that's cool. But if you can't identify it, don't worry. Just play like every game is within that 20%. And then, and then if it is, you win. If it isn't, you lose. Then, well, then who cares? At least you were improving your strategy, which is great. Uh, or it's a 40% free win. And then in that case, you win. So we're all happy, right? I don't care if, if I try really hard and I win. It's like, I'm not going to, after after the game, be like, oh, I wish I didn't try hard. That was so stressful. I wish I didn't try hard and we lost. Nobody right. said that. Nobody said that. <laughs> yeah. You, you might yeah. want to take a break after those. That's for sure. Did Jenkins get thinner? <laughs> oh my God. Oh God. I hope I contract the coronavirus so I actually do get thinner. I hear you lose a lot of weight on that. <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, let's see. Average peen. And Louie, by the way, that wasn't all directed at you. That was that was obviously a huge, a huge tangent. I don't know what you're thinking in terms of in terms of your perception of these games so we just i've actually coached louis a couple of times in the last week and i have another one soon so we've been working on this stuff how to recognize like where your impact is lacking it's good okay average peen says how do you feel about enigma right now what do you think about his level 15 talent i like going malefice damage over the cooldown reduction maybe it's just because of me being dumb uh why do you think he has such a low pick rate if he's able to really shut down a lot of popular melee cores in the laning stage as an offlaner, uh, how it's always been, but more so now as I bring a headrest to the lane. Is he really able to? I kind of feel like you just trade farm and they get up a little bit underleveled. I feel like Enigma's just dog shit. You, yeah. Like, so many carries can just blink on the Eidolons and kill them. Like, yeah. some troll is against you, he just destroys your Eidolons, some anti-mage can just blink away. Can just blink on the Eidolons, kill you with an Orb of Venom, some Terra Blade. Like Jesus Christ! Imagine laning it. Uh, imagine laning an Enigma versus a Terra Blade. He just sends illusions to cancel every one of your clarities and and solo kill your Eidolons because he has fifteen armor. I I feel like he's Enigma's just really weak against the popular carries right now. I agree. Uh, I saw Liquid try and run it as a four today, and he was like third most farmed hero in the game at. 15 minutes and it was just trash <laughs> like it, it just didn't look good i mean granted he was against rubik winter wyvern but still i i don't know it it definitely does not seem like a very good offlaner right now they're just like if you want a hero that's in the same kind of like vein as that just pick beast it's a minion hero who pushes well who dominates the lane against melee heroes who has a game-changing bkb piercing ultimate and pushes towers same thing except One's a Beastmaster, and one's an Enigma. Yeah, I uh, I think I think Enigma is Enigma's probably going to be really sick in a couple more buffs because he's he really fell off after they changed Midnight Pulse to, to not be pure damage. So like if I if I pick up a, a pipe or a hood or cloak or whatever, and I have a bunch of magic resist, he doesn't 
fuck all damage to me. Yeah. So like so many heroes counter him now that used to not. Pipe is him. so popular right now that his midnight pulse is trash. It doesn't. It's it's so weak. It's so yeah. weak. So that's gonna need to be gonna need to be changed. Like there's gonna need to be a lot of buffs to the other stuff because that was one of the sickest things about Enigma is you'd pop the midnight pulse and hole and people would take a billion pure damage through BKB and everything and that's why he was so goddamn strong. So until they buff a bunch of things to like equate to that and I mean that's a pretty crazy thing when you think about it. It's like some hero that has bkb piercing disable bkb piercing damage pure and percentage bkb mm -hmm. piercing damage that is wild there's no thing that you can do to avoid that damage yep now now you can so that's just that's just a pretty big deal for enigma arboreal phoenix says okay guys i heard in the last uh alchemy answers that people have been picking magnus to counter heroes like anti-mage or other battle fury carries oh my god donnie look what you've done hmm? i've been taking that logic and running a little bit with it with some pretty strong success when the enemy team picks wraith king uh, i've been countering with alchemist okay i actually like the logic i hate magnus as a hero but i like the logic the logic is good uh, i figure wraith king uh farms jungle a bit i from jungle a bit at 25 minutes he has radiant blink I have Rady, AC, Basher, BKB, Mads, and Travels. That is correct. The point is that Alk farms faster than Wraith King, so it seems. And you also farm a skeletons. I'm in Legend Bracket. Does that scale as I go up in MMR, or has my personal experience been unrepresentative uh, of the larger picture? No, nope, that represents no. it quite well. Pros are literally doing this in ESL games right now. Like This is, yeah. this is what pros are doing to counter Wraith King, is they're picking Alchemist. Straight up. That hero. Yep. Yep. No, it's, it's, it's a really good... It's a really good thing. Like, uh, you know, similar uh, way of thinking is some people would pick an alchemist when the enemy supports are really uh, non-pressuring. Like, there's no earth spirit. There's no tusk that runs around and, like, gets shit done. Yeah, if it's if like it's Phoenix like, Coddle or something like that. Yeah, Coddle Wyvern, some yeah. shit like that. You just you just have Alk. It's like, he's so cool just hitting, farming up the jungle. Uh, yeah, it's, that's, it's like, the, it's similar logic, except picking kind of based on the supports. Um, okay, Stainship says, firstly, I want to say thanks for going full Sherlock Holmes, trying to figure out uh, which hero I was in the last replay or the after <laughs> I forgot to specify. You guys actually go above and beyond your couple of legends for Oh, thank you, man. I, <laughs> that was a fun one. Uh, my question is, over the last few months, uh, I've gotten a lot more serious about Dota, uh, playing less, but studying more to try and improve my issue is that I feel like I've learned a ton of theory, and I was able to, if I was able to apply it, I'd be at least 1k higher MMR than I am. Uh, but when I go into a game, I have all these things I want to do that I've learned. But as the game progresses and things get chaotic, it all goes out the window. Do you have any tips on how to do a better job at applying what I've learned in the game? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's a tough one. So my probably biggest piece of advice here is that a, a very common mistake that I think a lot of people make is that they look at a lot of replays. They look at their own replays. They look at pro replays. And they come up with like 10 million different things that they want to do in games. They just come up with like a general kind of idea of how they want to play the game instead of coming up with a very specific thing that they want to add to their repertoire. The reason that it looks so like fluid when pros are doing it is because they practiced it over and over and over and over again uh, to the point where it becomes like monotonous and boring. And when all the chaos happens, you're so fucking used to doing the thing that it just happens mm -hmm. even amongst all the chaos. Whereas when you're focusing on like 10 different things, it's 
it's too much. It's too hard. So my my advice would be to apply one thing at a time. Spend like at least a week, kind of going from consciously uh, consciously thinking about it to subconsciously having it happen, and then move on to the next one. And then slowly but surely, after a few months, you will be one k MMR higher. But uh, trying to hammer in like ten different things at once, that's not going to work. That like you said, as soon as the game gets chaotic. Uh, it's it's really hard because there's a huge difference between looking at a pro match and saying, oh, Artiz is about to get ganked. Why doesn't he just TP out? And then actually being in that game, having a feeling of what was happening for the first 10 minutes, opening the scoreboard, seeing that Bristlebacks level 10, like getting all of these different pieces of information that aren't available to you from somewhere else. Like map awareness in a game is very different from map awareness from watching a replay. Um, especially because like there's things that Arteezy will do, even if you look at his perspective, there are things that he will do that will make you see things if you're watching his replays. And you need to start doing those things in order to react in the way that he does. And if you focus just on the reaction and not the things that led to the reaction, then that's never going to amount to anything, you know? And that's why you do one thing at a time. So you can realize like, oh, I can't, I can't learn this thing because I need to do this first. I can't learn this thing. I need to do this first. And then eventually, but slowly but surely, you'll learn that thing and you can move on to the next. Yeah, I highly recommend, and we keep recommending this in like replay reviews and stuff. It's just if your laning stage is not good, just focus on your laning stage for like 100 games. Just perfect your laning stage. And then from there, you know, come back to the game, figure out what you're doing wrong in other areas, and then focus on those. And if you have to, just basically like say to yourself, this is what I want to work on in this game before you even queue. And then, yeah, just actually do it, you know, put in, put in the work. If you actually want to get better, put in the work to like systematically break down what you're bad at and fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Like go give you an example, like go into a game and focus, like I'm going to get better at split pushing. I'm going to play the dead lane more like this. This is what my girlfriend's focused on right now. She's she, I played a game with her and she was like, where do I get farm in this game? And then I just showed, like, we watched the replay, and for, like, 15 minutes, there was just a, a very dangerous lane. Nobody was farming. I was like, that's where you go. And she said that it's, like, feels she feels a lot more farmed in her games. But I'm sure there's so many things that she's, like, learning and breaking down from these games because, okay, when I'm in the dead lane, I can't show when I'm doing that. You have to die a couple times to realize that. Okay, even not showing is not enough. I need to play in trees because I could be standing on wards. Okay, I need to get a quelling blade so I can go deeper into trees. There will be progression that happens as you're learning that individual thing. But if you're focusing on 10 different things, then the progression is going to get halted because you're going to start progressing on another, none of the, uh, fuck's sakes, on another thing. And then on the next thing, you're progressing. And then that'll ruin the progression on the first thing and then so forth, you know? Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm going like uh, dyslexic here. Uh, Wigs says, what do I do as a position five when the other team, position four, doubles the creep wave? Recently, I had a game where their other team had an axe. They doubled the creep waves uh, for a super fast vanguard. The axe could skip the creeps with no threat of dying at all. Yeah, that's pretty hard to deal with. Uh, the clock just ignored me while cutting. Uh, if I went to another lane, I felt even more useless. So, so oh, go ahead. You, you go. I was just going to say that you have to, first of all, recognize that it's happening early. And then you have to kind of just punish it as much as possible. So, like, at level one, they're going to be running... You know, just throw as many spells as you can. If you have a slow, slow them. Make them tank the creeps more. If you can, and they're pulling it past a creep camp, try and pull the creep camp into the creeps that they're pulling. Like, just do anything you can to mess with them. Because the worst thing you can do is just be like, well, yeah, I guess they're doing this. I'm just going to let it happen. You know, like, 
do your best to make it a miserable experience for them to accomplish what they're trying to do, but don't go overboard to the point where like you're level one and their axe is level four because you've just been sitting there trying to right click him the whole time. Like see if what you're doing is actually effective. If you can see their health consistently dropping, if you're making them miss last hits by denying, if you're making them not able to pull because you're pulling the creeps that they're pulling into neutral creeps. These are all good things that can potentially happen. And if you can't do any of those things, then look elsewhere on the map, such as, you know, potentially just go run at their mid, go run at their, their safe lane. And suddenly Snipe the four, barriers. yeah, the four is like, wait, holy shit. I need to go help my PA in the safe lane because this stupid lich is up there just frost blasting him off of cooldown because the lich doesn't have to be in the bottom lane anymore to, to help, his uh whoever you know so like turn whatever they're doing into a bad trade for them is my best piece of advice and and sometimes you have to be kind of creative in how to do that you definitely have to be creative it's it's hard um if they're hard cutting the wave then yeah it's hard then you know you want to try to hit denies like one of the most annoying things for an axe is getting the first creep wave denied because you don't hit level then it takes it takes them another wave to get level two. And then in that time, in that like 30 second window, I mean, it, it expedites the process by 30 seconds if he can get every single last hit on the creep wave, right? So 30 seconds is, an, is a big, big window to harass somebody down. Uh, then, or sorry, like a minute is bigger, way bigger than 30 seconds. And all it takes is one single deny. So if you can get a single deny on the first wave against Axe, it's a pretty damn big deal. Uh, and then once he gets like level two, level three, there's not even a point in contesting an Axe who's cutting unless you have a, a mid that's coming to gank and uh the worst thing that can happen is you just sit there and try to contest him once he's level two three you get so far behind that your presence won't even be felt in any other any other lane yeah. so that, Bl- that block sounds the camps like that he wants to pull to maybe and just go somewhere else yep axe is axe is a rough hero to deal with right now honestly his mm-hmm. his cutting is 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 pretty impossible to deal with because if you just send a position four with him none of the counters apply yep so uh, Ugo Chaka says, you mentioned that lower-rated players don't know how to deal with split pushing. This is correct. Could you please elaborate on that and give some tips on how to best exploit split pushing in low MMR? Okay, from my experience, playing on my shitty Smurf, is that, uh, especially in Unranked, when you get people who are like Legends, Ancients, um, this bracket, people just run at shit as five. Mm-hmm. They just run around five-manning. And they just aren't used to having somebody not choose to fight because usually the enemy team will just run at them as five as well and fight them. And then either one team will win or one team will lose. So people just make horribly bad decisions uh, when they're presented with a split pushing enemy team. Everything is an overcommitment at that bracket. Yeah, they'll they'll like TP five people to deal with it. They won't TP anybody, and they'll mm-hmm. just lose. They'll lose barracks. Uh, you can really, really abuse it just because people seem like they five man relentlessly. So all you need to do is go split the map, wait for the enemy team to split up, and then kill them when they're split, and just rinse and repeat that forever. And I think I think that if you do that and you get good at that, you can get everybody can get out of legend. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think there's no excuse. To not get out of legend if you if you uh the only excuse is not having tried mastering that strategy because as any position too as any position too like anybody can do it yeah your heroes you might be a five your heroes might be just jungling you can do this split pushing which causes two heroes from the enemy team to tp to try and kill the 
squishy support that's down there, and then you TP to your team and take a fight five on three. And even with complete bots, you're going to win a five on three like 90% of the time. Yep. Yep. You can have bots, legitimately. Uh, Mira says, I have a question about creating a double wave in the offlane as a support. I noticed that if you go cut the second creep wave and drag it to the third, you can teleport to your tier one tower and pull the hard camp. The other way is to drag the double wave behind your tier one tower and do not pull. Do you think there is a significant gain to be had from the pull? Uh, I would just say, like, your offlaner or your position four or whoever it is, like, somebody else can go do that pull. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry so much about getting that pull off because here's the thing. If you're pulling that, then what you're doing, like, the double wave is eventually going to come into your tower regardless, right? Like, a double wave annihilates a single creep wave. Mm -hmm. So if you pull that camp, then all that it means is it's not going to... Like you're you're kind of helping the enemy team almost because then they can go over and farm that instead of dragging it in, dragging it into their tower. Like yeah. I would say you actually don't do that unless there's somebody else in that lane, aka your support or your offlaner that wants to get XP shared with the enemy team on that hard camp. That's when I would say you would you would you would want to do that. Otherwise, you're just giving them an extra hard camp to farm because because the double A is going to go into your tower either way, right? Yep. Yeah, and and usually actually you kind of want the double wave to hit one of your waves otherwise it might even pressure you off of your tower and the other team can just like do half your tower's health at like three minutes into the game which is not good oh yeah although people have gotten a lot better at like pulling the creeps between the tier one and tier two and creating like a new equilibrium yeah. it's you, you just have to be really careful like if they are able to get between your tier one and tier two and zone you off of the wave then it's bad but if you're if you're careful about getting the creep aggro and pulling it between the tier one and tier two instead of letting it just beat on the tower, like I think I think um, people used to lose people used to lose uh, their tier one because they're bad. Mm. Like that was just Dota players generally being shitty at Dota and not knowing how to abuse the strat. But there's no reason to not just walk up to the creep wave and pull the creep aggro off the tower and have a new equilibrium between your tier one and tier two where there isn't even a tower to get the problem is when they zone you <laughs> when you let them get between you and the tower and then it's like oh shit now there's a double wave hitting my tower and if i walk up to try to go grab it they kill me but mm -hmm. there's a there's a window where they can't do that because the creep wave has to go into your tower otherwise they run into your tower and take damage you know it's one of those like generally dota players were just shittier sort of thing it's crazy because in dota there's so much of that people like the whole community learns these things at once you know Okay, Lil Void says, so today I decided to learn uh, learn Amber position one and have played a couple of games and tried a couple of different builds. Probably terrible, but it's I'm starting to get a feel for him. Uh, but I checked Dota 2 Pro Tracker and builds in different games, and almost every game is different from the last one. You might have picked the worst hero <laughs> in terms of like ex uh, looking online and seeing uh, one standard build. There, There is no standard build on Ember. Uh, right now like more so than any hero in dota ever uh so my question is what is the idea with this ember is it poke damage with slight magic damage lockdown some kind of semi right clicker with deso crit of course i understand it's really different from game to game but he's very versatile but what teams slash players thought when picking the hero i i honestly like the hero is picked because it can do anything you pick it early in the draft and you, no matter what they pick, you can do something that will result in you having a huge impact. If they pick a Timber, you get a Vessel. If they pick a Huskar, you get a Vessel. <laughs> if they pick a Meepo, you can get like a Maelstrom, Battle Fury, uh, Daedalus if, if you want. You know, if, if they pick 
Um, if they pick a Terra Blade, you go Maelstrom, you go Magic Damage. They have uh, if they pick PL, a, you, know, you can go Radiance or Maelstrom. Like, yeah, yeah. If they pick, uh, I don't know, but if, let's say your team picks like a Zeus, you don't need any more Magic Damage. Maybe go Medallion Desso. Like the great thing about the hero is that you can build anything on it, and he's going to be useful. And you literally just need to build for what your team needs and for what will shit on the enemy team the most. Yep, he's one of those heroes that you just kind of fill in the blank for your team, whatever you're lacking. Maybe you need a Shiva's. Maybe you need an AC. Maybe you need a Spirit Vessel. Maybe you need a Halberd. Maybe you need fill in the blank. That's what you go on Ember Spirit. Usually, you pick up the one item that's going to make you unkillable, whether it's BKB, Yules, Lotus Orb, whatever. And then you just pick up whatever else your team needs. Yeah, that's a hard hard hero to itemize on. Well, it's 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 not that hard. I mean, if you know what all the items do, it's not that hard. Because you basically just, you don't have to think, oh, is this good on Ember? The answer is yes to that question <laughs> for any item. You know, get a fucking Dragonlance. I don't care, man. It's good on Ember. Like, that hero can go anything and it's good. So... But it, it is hard in terms of you need to know like what each item does and how it makes the game better for you and how it helps your team. That 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 is the hard part. Mm -hmm. Ray Vokton says, uh, Jenkins, what is your approach when playing support? I mainly three, but I like to queue all rolls and stack roll queue charges uh, before spamming offlane for 20 games, but my win rate as a support isn't great. In a role that I don't play often, should I try sticking to meta heroes or try to learn a small pool of heroes that are typically decent regardless of the meta? Should I try to play supports that have similar mindsets or styles to offlaners? Yes. Uh, if it's relevant, I'm 4.8k and I like to play tanky or uh, building initiators and split push offlaners, currently mainly uh, Centaur and Underlord. For position 5, I just play Nature's Prophet every game. I play uh, basically offlaners as a pulse 5. That's, that's what I do. And... Um, some patches, my win rate is actually higher as a pause five than as as an offlane because, um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Sometimes just the heroes are better for pause five, and sometimes the style of playing a really assholeish pause five is like a good is a really good play style. Like right now, Nature's five is insanely good. So I would say for me, for me, my my strat is to pick stuff that has overlap because I'm not the type of person that can know. If you tell me to play Enigma right now, I haven't played that hero in 100, 200 games. I'm going to feed. You know, put me in a 5K game. I'm probably going to feed. It's going to be a joke, you know? And uh, that's, just, that's just how I learn. Maybe that's how everybody learns. I don't know. I only know my own experience. But I, I would say that's probably my best piece of advice is just find heroes that overlap with, uh, with offline or heroes that you really enjoy playing. You can yeah. also do that. Yeah, I mean, from... Like an anecdote from the pro scene is that right now 33 has subbed in for OG for Thompson as their mid laner. And you know what they picked him yesterday? Darkseer and Lycan for the mid lane. And they won both of those games. 33 is an off laner, and now he's playing off lane heroes in the mid lane, and it doesn't matter because he's good at those heroes and plays his role correctly. Yeah. When, when I go mid, I'm, I'm like brood timber every game. You know, mm. it's just these heroes that are basically offlaners in the yep. mid lane yep uh at one point yeah that that's all like i mean necrophos is another one it's like that's that's an offlaner let's be real he plays in the mid he's an offlaner right uh, it's just it's just what i play you know i'm not trying to i'm not trying to lose games because 
this goes back to what we talked about in the other uh, Alchemy Answers like a week ago. And I think we actually have a video coming, like a clip of it, like an edited. I don't know if we're posting that or what, but um, I was basically saying that uh, players, really good players tend to have like, they they have like their MMR, right? Which is like a representation of their skill at the time that they're playing. And then there's like their true MMR, more true MMR. Maybe you could call it normal MMR, average MMR, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, basically, uh, you know, the MMR as if they were to play Dota all day, every day, under any circumstance. And like every role, you know, your MMR would be lower. If you play only five, your MMR would, would, would be lower. And it's like, it does that represent, like, what do you want your MMR number to represent? That's that's like the question right. to me. It's like, if you want it to represent the number associated with queuing for every role, then yeah, just, you can learn every role. Go for it. Uh, you'll probably have it be lower. But if you want it to represent just like mostly your offlane, then the way to suffer the least loss from switching to like position five is by playing offlaners in the position five. So yeah. pe people maximize like this all the time in high MMR. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to... I'm by no means shitting on Luki Luki, for example, but obviously his MMR with Pango is massively higher than any other hero. And that's what his main account represents. He's a top 10, top 20 player with Pangolier. And you keep using him as an example on a Smurf where he's not playing, he's playing everything but Pango, and he's like a rank 600 player. So it's like, you know, you do have to make that distinction. Yeah, yeah. Although I do believe, I do believe with him that uh, his number should be higher on the Smurf, but I don't know by how much higher. I think he's probably like a rank 200 player on the Smurf, playing mm. the heroes that he's playing. But I mean, his Pangos, it's the best. It is straight up the best. It sucks for him that the patch came out <laughs> the way it is. Uh, Poopy Pants Boy says, big retard here. In these boring times of isolation, one of my friends has decided to start playing Dota. He's played a little bit of League. But other than that, he has no experience with MOBAs. We've played a couple of bot games and a handful of unranked games, and he seems willing to learn and is interested but is intimidated by the learning curve that we all went through. Yeah, I could see that. Since he'll be learning more about the heroes and game with every game he plays, how can I convince him that it takes uh, that the time it takes to learn the game is worth it, and for the most part, he will improve every game? P.S. In League, he played jungle, and I explained at this point in time, Dota doesn't have a strict jungle rule. Uh, who are some good position three and four heroes that I could recommend him in his limited experience? Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, man. man. So th this is really the question. I, I kind of wanted to like expand this question a little bit to what do you think is the best role for a brand new player to play? I don't, <sighs> I don't really think it is support <laughs> because everybody makes like their, their friend play support for them in lane. But I don't really think support is the best role for somebody to start on. Pro maybe offlane, because they can just kind of be ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Pick whatever the fuck they want, make space. Hyper-aggressive is good. Feeding is often good, to some extent. But, yeah, yeah. Prob probably offlane. Mid has too much control over the game. Uh, carry, there's like too much pressure on them to actually do something at some point. So you just lose a lot. But I feel like offlane is probably the role. You probably want to give them a core role. To teach them like last hitting and stuff right um i don't know anything about league of legends i've actually never played that game so i don't know i don't know how the jungle role plays in that game jungling is is like a roaming four kind of like basically you spend most of your time hitting jungle creeps but then you do kind of like make moves to other lanes to some extent and like reinforce them or gank for them so 
it, it's kind of like a four roll to be honest with a lot more passivity okay um if only if only jungle was still a thing what heroes what heroes are like can hit jungle creeps and also gank yeah uh like natures i guess but you're borderline griefing if you Ursa? like <laughs> honestly like wraith king core you could play some like wraith king yeah maybe maybe some like Beastmaster. well that's hard for new players actually the micro the board micro that's like way too hard i feel like wraith king is probably pretty good yeah i actually don't hate that wraith king chaos knight maybe because he's got a heal built into his crit which allows you to kind of jungle and then he has a stun to set up for stuff um axe, i feel like wraith, wraith king's maybe? got uh axe is like no axe is like pressure hero or axe is a weird hero yeah but if you're, like not... if you're brand new you could jungle with axe and then run in and like battle hunger people like it's not the worst thing it's not the worst i would say wraith king's like god mode though because yeah your, your skeletons are just gonna do work on them like you just spawn skeletons and they go push towers and it's a, it you know you can be an ape and also <laughs> you, have, you, have a, you have a free to life to be able to feed without any consequences yeah that's pretty nice yeah, we'll go. We'll go with Wraith King. Maybe even just go Wraith King offlane. Who cares? Whatever. Mm-hmm. If he's new, just do whatever. He, he, oh yeah, it's a heat. Yeah, Wraith King offlane. Whatever. Uh, Wraith King carry probably better. Um, most most offlaners I would say are pretty pretty solid. Some like Centaur or or Abyssal Underlord or something like that. Some like tanky motherfucker to just run in and be a man, yep. make some space. That would be pretty fun. But uh. Definitely, definitely tell him that he shouldn't be passive in Dota. Like, it, as, as an offlaner, it's about taking their jungle. What about Sand King? You know? Uh, God, I'm just worried about recommending somebody like a, a hard creep-cutting hero, you know? Well, I mean, just to, just try to put yourself in the mind of somebody who... How about how about Marana? That hero is supposed to arrow creeps and roam between lanes. That kind of yeah, seems like that, a jungle that's, hero. That's that seems pretty good. No, that seems pretty good. As as long as you teach him, like, yeah, okay, you can arrow, you know, you can arrow creeps for some like quick farm. Mm-hmm. That seems that seems pretty decent. Um, if he's a micro guy, maybe Enigma. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Jungle with that hero, and it's probably okay. Wraith King is <laughs> just like the best AFK jungle hero, though. That's definitely that's definitely my yeah my biggest suggestion i believe that the d this is fuzzy by the way he says i believe that the dewarding responsibility should fall on mobile slash tanky offlaners possibly other cores that no longer need items desperately after a few core items or rather their pause four and pause five need them more say night stalker slaughter or even initiator style pango or mars by those centuries get dangerous dewards off profit having the responsibility on supports primarily um implicitly seems like a relic of the past um Fuzzy says, also, let's do this. What do you think are your strengths and weaknesses as a Dota player? Okay, so we'll cover the first question first. Um, I I don't think that I don't think that offlaners should be spending their time dewarding. I think that that still should be position five. And the reason for that is because often the job of a position five is to sit behind people and to just wait for some shit to happen. And that's actually okay as a position five. If you're an offlaner and you're running around dewarding, you're not doing your job. Like offlaners are supposed to play the perimeter of a an area that you can farm in. And them being there is what makes an area safe because you have this big meaty bruiser that's just like chilling in an area. Um, 
So and the enemy team can't walk by them. They have to kill them in order to, and, and they don't want to do that because it's some underlord with like seven items, you know, like pipe and crimson, all this bullshit. So I, I don't think, I don't think, um, and and some here are like Mars or Pango. Uh, these are like team fighters. You know, you want to start fights. You want to not be showing dewarding sentries. Like I, I feel like, uh, you know, in like the laning stage, I, I think there there are way more situations. In fact, I'm making a video for my channel, and I took completely shitting on cores for not warding and dewarding. Absolutely shitting on them. It's probably going to get a ton of dislikes because people are going to be fucking pissed when I basically shit on them for not warding and dewarding. Mm -hmm. um, so I think they should do it more. But I also think that a lot of supports have basically used the free wards and dewards giving gold as an excuse to be lazy. It's like before cores had an excuse to be lazy because they could be like ah my support's not warding fuck you support you're why i'm losing my lane it's not because i walked up and got triple raised by the shadow fiend it's you i don't have a high ground ward so they could basically make excuses for being lazy and now i see position fives like not buying wards and then wondering like blaming their cores for not having wards so i think it i think it's somewhere in the middle i think it's somewhere in the middle but I think I think position fives like you you clear out an area right. This is like how dewarding happens in like high level matches. You clear out an area. You have an offlaner walking first. You have like the mid walking first. You're kind of clearing out, maybe killing enemies that are there. Maybe you smoke. Maybe you just walk into a jungle. And then as the position as the position uh, three and two are like kind of playing the front line, the position five is walking behind with dewards. You can't have somebody simultaneously doing that with with dewards and then also playing the front line. You know it doesn't make any sense. And also uh, I think heroes that have that have some way of like checking up high grounds are like way better at dewarding and heroes that can miss dewards, for example, you know, like these position fives, like you're gonna put down 10 centuries, you might get five dewards. You know, that that might not be worth it. Like that, that's a good ratio, I think. That's a really good ratio. Really good mostly, ratio. yeah. Mostly people are putting down 10 centuries, they get one deward, maybe mm -hmm. not even one. Uh, so I don't think you want your Mars to have no items because he's spending money on on centuries. Uh, so I do agree in the sense I think core should be doing it more, but I think core is like exclusively doing it. Are, is is not is not a thing yeah i also just kind of feel like um if you are constantly having problems with like or you feel like dewarding is too dangerous in an area you probably shouldn't even be there like you need to be there with your team right you know it, it dewarding is not it's not like oh they have a ward in their triangle but we're all playing in their jungle so i'm gonna like smoke across to deward their triangle by myself that's just not not how it works you you go deward an area when your team is planning on occupying there together, and so it right, sh shouldn't right, actually exactly. be that dangerous for you. Right, I I agree. Okay, what are your strengths and weaknesses as a Dota player? Um, I do actually think my my uh, six, that's a hard one. <laughs> uh, strengths. I'm a maniac. I I tend to um play really well with with players who need a lot of farm like i make an insane amount of space um pro that's also i mean that's also like a weakness in the sense that when there are games that don't call for that sort of play style it's hard for me to dial it back um i don't know if it's just because i'm stupid and i can't and i can't change what i'm just instinctively built to do but uh, or or like you know trained to do but god i swear to god every game i'm just like batrider in in their base with with like three people chasing me and tping out either feeding or surviving or, or nature's prophet i'm just like 
So I, I have ha I have had games like I played with Arteezy and I was Nature's Prophet and I blind TP'd like three times in a row to put a ward down. And the moment I put the ward down, they were there and they killed me. And then I just ruined the entire game because we had no vision on the map because they dewarded all of the wards that I put down. And he was just like, dude, where's my vision? Well, what's my nature's profit doing? It's like, you're, man, you're fucking right. I'm, a, I'm being a moron. Like, usually when I do this, people don't kill me. It's, it's like a mixture of luck and also just it's a risky play style, the way that, the way that, I, the way that I play. And um, for some reason, my brain just defaults to that shit, you know? Like, so, in a lot of games, it like, turns out, and it's like we have – it turns out well, and we have, like, insane wards because of that. Or I'm making so much space that my team gets super huge. But um, it's, uh, you know, Dota's like a spectrum. You can, like, one way or the other. And sometimes the games call for it to be... So because of that, because of that play style, I'm, I'm inconsistent. That's what I would say my biggest weakness is, is I'm, I'm inconsistent. I can have games where I go, like, 1 in 18. And, and if you're playing in a tournament, that's actually not acceptable. Because one game of going 1 in 18 can be enough to be kicked out of, like, a group stage. Right. You know? So... That's actually that's actually pretty shitty. Dota is all about consistency. Yeah, uh, for me, my probably my my best strength is like a global perspective on the game in terms of just like general strategy, like macro understanding of what needs to happen in a game for the most part. And I definitely have several big weaknesses. First of all, like tilted mentality. Second of all, um, execution on heroes that I'm not entirely familiar with but think that i'm good enough with the play and i think that those two things combined have held me back a lot in terms of my development as a player um and i also think that i have a pretty big issue that i'm working on at the moment of thinking like because i have this macro understanding of the game like i'll see a creep wave that needs to be pushed and nobody's doing it and then I'll go do it, even though it's not my job to do it, and it will put me out of position for something that I need to be doing um, that's potentially more important. And so I end up trying to do too many different things with the, the job or the role that I'm given in a game. And I think that that's bad. It's a spectrum, man. You know, it's good in some games, shit in others. Yep. It's hard to, hard to find a balance. I think that's what um, a, lot of, a lot of Tier 1 pro players have done a really good job at finding the right balance. And I think a lot of them don't even realize how good they are. You know what I mean? Like they yeah. they underestimate themselves in terms of what it actually takes to be to be that precise with the balance. Yeah, like um, take Thompson, for example. Somehow he's able to balance his aggression and recklessness with like playing with his team when it actually matters but in pubs yeah. you see him overstepping those bounds all the time so I, I think that's why a lot of pro players will flame people in pubs because they just it just like a lot of the time it comes naturally to them for whatever reason um, maybe it's the way they think maybe it's because they've trained a lot but um humans are really good at kind of like normalizing things that really aren't normal yeah. i mean we're all getting used to this like social distancing shit that's happening you know it's like this is a very not normal situation this is a world event that's happening it's a fucking catastrophe and uh it's it's uh but it's normal it gets it becomes normal at a certain point and we'll have a new normal probably afterwards but uh this is why like pro players flame is because they think like how could somebody possibly not know this it's like well man it's because you're actually a lot better than you think you are uh and and these people that you're flaming are good as well it's just that you are so good and you don't realize how good you are and how much how much it's like you don't 
you know, you learn a language and it, it at a certain point you start thinking in the language, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to you. It's a, it's second nature, but then somebody who doesn't know the language thinks you're a fucking genius for knowing that language. It's insane. People who speak both like Mandarin and English, that is so impressive. Yeah. But to them, but to a lot of them, it's just normal. It's just chill. It's like they just they just learn both as a kid. It's like, dude, do you know the amount of jobs you can get from just knowing two languages? Are you kidding me? In Canada, if you know French and English, you get like five to ten percent increase in your wages. But like literally companies will pay you more because you can do translation work. Like they're they're federally obligated to pay you more money in a salary package because of you because of you knowing French because we need everything to be translated here. So it's it's like yeah, it's nuts. Anyway. Um first time I don't even remember why why I was saying the 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 language thing. Uh first time Patreon subscriber here. I've realized lately that my lane matchup knowledge is severely lacking on a lot of heroes that I play a lot. This results in me not knowing uh how I'm meant to play the lane. For example, as an underlord against Juggernaut, which I think is supposed to be disadvantaged for the Underlord. Yeah, pretty decently. Uh, I tried pushing out the wave and pulling the hard camp, so, uh, but Jug would come over and spin, which resulted in him getting even more farm. I've been uh, trying to find some kind of journal on how to, uh, or keep some kind of journal on how to play each lane. I play, uh, seems to go, uh, but it seems like a fairly slow way to learn these different matchups. Is there anything you would recommend to speed up this learning process, or is it just a case of keeping on doing what i'm already doing watch pro honestly players. watch pro players yeah you can watch pro players but it's more it's more like at least at least with the offline example to me it's like knowing what a carry does how a carry likes to play and that makes it a lot easier for me to think from like the carry perspective because i know how jug spin works so if i play a hero I will play with that in mind, you know, like I know how Nakes works. I know how Naga works. I know how all of these heroes work because I've gone through metas of playing against these pieces of shit. So all I need to focus on is how to tailor my hero's skills and play style to deal with these carries or the, yeah, with, with these carries like Jargonaut, for example, if you're any hero who um, does like physical damage, then you can hit him. Like for instance, with this Underlord matchup, you can try um maybe you have a, like a pretty strong support and you can just turn and hit the jug when he spins on you mm -hmm. because you have all the physical damage coming from your atrophy that's a potential play uh or like like you said against jug i don't care what your hero is i would not pull to the hard camp like that because like you said you can you can just spin the wave so yes it seems like it's going to take a long time because this underlord versus jug it's very specific if i pull to this hard camp try to farm it jug is going to spin it but that's true for Jug, regardless of what hero you are, right? So basically against Jug, the play is either to have some sort of physical damage and just sit there and outlane him by punching him and not caring about his magic immunity and his spin and, and his damage and outburst him, or you just cut the wave. And that's a really easy way to deal with Jug as well, no matter what hero you are. And most offlaners can do this. So basically thinking from the, from the carry perspective is a way to kind of minimize the amount of matchups you have to know, because all you need to know is just how to shut down that carry. That's it. And, and then you just make your hero do it in whatever best way that they can using the skills. You can literally just read the skills at, at the start and be like, okay, I need, I can try this. I can try this. Yeah, there's definitely a, lot of time a burden work. of knowledge that you kind of have to like accrue over time. But I also think that just like if you have a hero that you want to learn, I really, really do recommend going and watching how pros lane the hero. Like 
just watch several of their games against different matchups and kind of understand, okay, this hero seems to be stronger. This is what they do. This hero seems to be weaker. This is what they do. Like most of the time, these guys have done most of the work for you and you can learn from them. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Some heroes, there's just a general way of playing them and mm -hmm. you can just repeat that for every carry. That's also, that's also a thing. It's a, uh... But there's, like you said, there's a burden. There's a lot. There's a lot to it, definitely. It's, um, you just have to grind through it. Spamming heroes is very good for this. Very good. Whooshbar says, I have always had a hard time playing a limited hero pool because even my favorite heroes, I feel like I get bored. This gets amplified by playing in a five stack of my quarantined friends who don't care about roles and just like three to four heroes. The point is, I feel like I have to play a different role every game. What hero would you suggest learning if I want to spam one or two heroes to fit most core roles? Playing with friends is fun, but I hate their drafts and coordination is not good. All right. I'm glad you asked this question because Donnie and I just recorded two tier lists and I have the heroes for you. Ember Spirit, Nature's Prophet. Those are your two heroes. All of, Both of those heroes can play in every single role. And you just build a little differently. You play a little bit differently, but they're actually good in every role. You can mid-natures. I've seen move play carry natures, offline natures. Four natures is fine. Five natures is fine. Same with Ember. He's good in the support roles. No-tail just did five Ember, according to Donnie. Um, carry Ember, mid-Ember. Offline Ember is actually quite good. I've been playing that a decent amount. And that's a fun one, man. If you feel like your friends suck and your coordination is just shit, <laughs> Ember is great. Ember loves chaos. Yeah. It's like you can get in and out. If your team is doing some stupid shit, it's like, all right, guys, see ya. I'm out. Throw your remnant away. Jump to it. You know, just go back to split pushing, go back to fighting, uh, fighting hitting creeps, you know? Yeah, I would agree with those. I'd also maybe include like Leshrac and Void Spirit in there too because they fit into a ton of different roles as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Void Spirit, 100%. Leshrac, uh, not as good of a hero as these as these other ones. He's like kind of on the upswing right now. So we'll see with that. But yeah, like meta-wise in terms of when the meta changes, like Leshrac can always be played in basically every role. So same with Nature's and Ember. Like they might be worse, they might be better in the next patch. But chances are you'll probably be able to play them in almost any role, and it's not going to be that bad. Even if they're like not particularly good heroes, it'll be fine if you're good at them. Yep. Uh, Shadow Trader says, hey guys, I didn't play Dota for one and a half weeks. Then I play four games and win all four of them. It's a flex, but honestly, how the fuck does that shit happen? <laughs> um, luck, that's definitely a thing. Uh, sometimes you, you go away and you do forget a bunch of shit and you just suck. And one and a half weeks seems like it's just at that cutoff point that you might still be sick when you come back, but you also might be shit. So you're kind of at that cutoff point. It might be luck, it might not be. Um, definitely, if you take a break for like a week or a few days and you come back, I think your chances of winning games is actually way higher because you you want to play. Yeah. You really want to play. Your brain's going to be super stoked to like figure out, oh, if I cut this wave and get boots and do this, he can't lay it against me. Okay, I'm going to swap and rotate this lane to this lane. And then all of a sudden we win two side lanes. Like your brain's going to come up with all the cool shit if, yeah. you, if you really want to play. You know, it's really crazy actually. So... The, the spreadsheet that I've been keeping track of all of my games for the last two and a half weeks. Thanks, has, JCJ. Yeah, thank you, JCJ. It has a, a sheet in it that has, it's entitled Next Game Impact. So it tracks like what my win rate is as I play more games in a day. And my highest win rate is the first game I play every day. And you'd think like, oh, you need to warm up. No, the first game I play is the highest win rate for the entire day. And then I have a losing win rate at game two, losing win rate at game three. I win game four. And usually at this point, I will have probably taken a break because I usually don't play four straight games. I'll usually play one or two, maybe three, and then I'll take a break. Fourth game, very high win rate again. 
and then after it just kind of like goes down and down and down except for uh there's like one other spike later on that would kind of indicate me taking another break so most of the time (laughs) my win rate is like after a break it's high and if it's consistent games over and over and over it's pretty low i would love to actually look at the science on that because i'm sure there's i'm sure there's good i'm sure there's studies out there that that shows that like i mean it's it's obvious anecdotally i mean anybody can understand that interest in something will increase your performance at that thing Mm -hmm. that's so obvious you know but i would like to see the extent of that i would like to see the actual like neuroscience behind that i'm gonna i want to maybe look that up um okay so sparky 23 says so why alchemy coaching i've experienced coaching before but i feel like they're offering more real-time band-aid remedies to visible errors instead of long-term habit forming I've only uh, experienced replayer viewing and live game coaching, which are fine methods. Uh, not complaining about those. Just curious, uh, just a curious question since I'm currently looking at coaching right now. I think that depends on the quality of the coach. Um, I, I specifically think... asking why you should get coaching from us. So we're, oh, trying, we're okay. supposed to sell ourselves. As to... Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not really doing coaching right now for a bit. But um, I think. Um, I think for both Donnie and I, uh, we understand the problem that basically you have mentioned. Uh, and in a lot of our videos, I mean, other than like the tier list and stuff, for a long time, we tried to do uh, content that would be really niche and actually teach people the lessons. To, to me, okay, okay, I'm going to get really philosophical on this actually. But to me, usually what makes me learn something is almost having an anecdote uh, or like proverb that like describes it, you know, something that my dumb ape brain can remember. Uh, Like you said, it's very different being told you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. And this, you know, that doesn't matter, but having something that will actually stick in your mind and click and make you remember during the games is very different from knowing after the fact that you should, of course you shouldn't have died there. Of course you should have missed that last hit. What, what can be said verbally to make a person remember something? So for me, for me, what I try to do with coaching and man, I've done some shitty sessions because it's hard. Like sometimes you just don't have the energy or you just don't say the right things. Your brain just isn't creative enough. But for me, I try to say things like coming up with analogies coming up with something that somebody can like connect with um, that uh, that's like outside of Dota, you know, it's better if you can like use their experience as well. Like that's, I mean, that's like what really good teachers do. I'm not some, some genius teacher though. So that's pretty hard, but you know, I'll try to come up with like analogies. So that way when somebody goes into a game, they actually remember it's like, Oh yeah, Dota's like poker. Oh oh yeah. Dota's like the stock market or something silly like that, you know, where whatever lesson it is that I'm, that I'm trying to get them to like internalize, it actually like comes comes back to them at a point because I I totally agree with you. It's like, it's for a lot of coaches, you could do what they do. You just look at the replay and you just point out all your deaths and say that shouldn't happen. Like that's bad coaching, you know. But good coaching to me is 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 actually making people remember. And I said this recently in one of my coaching sessions to somebody. I don't remember who to who it was, but for me, like I do like an hour hour and a half coaching session, and an hour and twenty minutes of it is garbage. But it's the 10 minutes 
of not garbage that really matters. Like the 10 minutes where I'm saying something that somebody really resonates, it really resonates with them. And it's something that they've identified. It's like, oh, that is actually my problem. Oh, you know, like that's the most important golden nugget. And that's why I think coaching sessions should be long, not because the the whole hour of the coaching session is important. I, I think like, for instance, like coaching sessions on YouTube, it's like garbage content because so much of it is not going to apply to you. So much of it is going to be some, listen to what I'm doing right now. I'm fucking rambling like a moron, right? I could make this into like a two minute video instead of rambling on for 10 minutes. You know, it's like, there, but, but there's a golden nugget. And sometimes you have to go through that process of saying a bunch of bullshit to get to that go golden nugget. And that's what a coaching session is for me. And I always feel bad when I have a coaching session. I feel like we didn't get to a golden nugget. Uh, luckily, a lot of people come back and I think that there wasn't some golden nugget. And they come back and they're like, oh, you said this. And uh, I, I, I watched it again. And this like really resonated with me. And now I'm winning because I started doing this. That always feels really good because that that's like the most important part. It's not just telling people what they did wrong. That shit doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you summarized it pretty well. Like I have a background in coaching traditional sports and, and stuff like that. And so I think that I've actually studied how to teach people to some extent. And uh, a lot of what you said is very, very true and, and trying to find some sort of common ground to have a discussion. Like that, that's one of the biggest things that I've learned from teaching other sports or, or other activities is like, if you can find one thing that you can relate to your student on whether it's music or other sports or other activities and just kind of keep drawing on terms or or things that happen in that that are relevant to what you're trying to teach them it's the easiest way to get people to remember stuff but you are correct like just going through a replay and pointing out this 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 and are wrong is not a great way to form habits forming habits comes from identifying a problem and then implementing a like new pattern of behavior so maybe we could do a better job of saying like okay well you're not pulling so i want you to literally set an alarm <laughs> to look at the mini map every 45 seconds into the game and ensure that the creep wave is not away from your tower and at that point you need to go pull the lane like maybe we could be a little bit more um dialed in in terms of like this is a solution that will help you form a better habit. That's entirely possible. It's hard though. That's like the best, the best of the best are really good at, at um, being efficient with that essentially. Yeah. For a long time, I've wanted to try and figure out how to implement some drills on like how to learn stuff, but it, it's hard. Like it's, it's not, the it's same. hard because it, it would depend on the specific person. A lot of the time. It's yeah. The problem. It's not the same thing as like, all right, here's how to shoot, you know, shoot 300 free throws and then shoot 300, three-pointers like those are drills that you can do you can do a layup drill in basketball yeah. but in, in dota it's like i guess you could probably do like mid lane drills of one-on-ones and stuff like that but other than and that, um, i mean also the problem with that being like content creators is that that's really niche content that the people that do click to it if they were to watch like a, how to do a drill or whatever they would really like it uh potentially because the people care about it but most people would never click to that so there's uh you know it's it's hard to do content like that and still pay for food <laughs> is the problem. Um, there's a balance though. You can definitely do content for uh, the people that like really care about like the specific in-depth learning stuff, but most people are more casual than that or want it to be easier or whatever. So it's it's a little difficult to find to find that balance as like a content creator. Mm -hmm. If you're a streamer, it's like a little different because you're streaming for like eight hours. You can just kind of talk about whatever. It's like podcasting. It's that's that's also very different. You know, you can just kind of talk 
you can have a discussion, ramble on. You don't have to come up with some very specific um, way of like uh, structuring what you're saying. You know, you can just kind of just ramble and then get to the point eventually. And you're like, oh, that's the point. And uh, that's how I feel about those videos is that they're like, they're so specific and they're like to the point, but for so few people that nobody's going to click that shit, which is too bad. Uh, okay, Slorkel says, if you are a support that doesn't do well in tri-lanes, what, uh, what should you do if the other side lane is falling apart? I often tell them to go jungle and forfeit the tower, but I usually keep going to the lane. Should I ask them to come to me and create pressure elsewhere? Stop um, worrying about what other people are doing. Just just do your job. Like, I don't know. I mean, I think that that's probably one of the biggest baits is trying to control everybody trying to control the entire game like if your lane is doing well make your lane do well and continue to make it do well and at some point you you may be able to go impact other places but i think that there's a lot of times where like your safe lane is doing well and you see that your off lane has died three times and then the off lane's like hey help us and you go tp there and suddenly you've lost all of your lands and it's like yeah I don't. I don't know what else to say other than that. It's just like, yeah, well, like once do again, your this job. goes back to like the twenty percent, forty percent thing. Like this is this seems like uh, you know some games. If you're if your core is just continuously doing the wrong thing and they just refuse to do the right thing, then just try to win with that circumstance. You know, like you go to go stack or or go try lane or go snipe couriers or go do something else because you know you don't want to just keep going to a lane that's like failing unless unless it's actually going to prevent uh, further loss. Yeah, you know, well, and there's support nothing somebody else, else. You can do. If, if your carry is trash, support the mid laner, support the off. Yeah, go slam <laughs> mid. Yeah, that's totally fine. That's totally fine. Not enough people do that, honestly. Not yeah. enough people do that. Sparky23, once again, says, I haven't played for months, um, and I noticed that the gold around the map seems to be a lot lower, though jungling seems a bit easier. What's the optimal way to both jungle and lane as a position one? Uh, what's an example of an efficient way to maximize gold? Uh, well, that would depend on a lot of situations, but you Pick are Alchemist. right. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, Pick Wraith King and just send skeletons down the lane. That's always pretty nice. And then you can go jungle. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these pause, uh, pause ones are good heroes at like pushing lanes and going to the jungle. Terrorblade spawns illusions. He does that. Naga Siren spawns illusions. She does that. PL. You know, it's it's like a. It's it's a lot of it's in the picks. A lot of it's in the picks. But you're right. A lot of these a lot of these pause ones are just kind of pushing lanes with illusions and summons and things like that, and just going hitting jungle. And that's and that's fine. Um, you yeah. don't want to lose towers though. You don't want to go ditch like a perfect lane. You leave when the lane gets bad. That's that's like when carries leave lane because still laning is more efficient than jungling. It's just that at a certain point you get so fast at jungling that it's just about as efficient as laning, and then you give somebody else the lane. That's pretty nice. And then also that means that you're not going to die in the lane. That's kind of why people leave the lane and go and go to the jungle as a, as a carry these days. Yeah, pretty much once you get out of the laning stage, just figure out who on the other team can kill you. And if they're off map, then you want to be in the jungle. If they're on map, then you want to be pushing creep waves, lane creep waves, as far into the enemy territory as possible. And then you basically just shift between those two extremes. Either you're off map because the kill heroes are off map, or you're on map because the other heroes that can kill you are on map. Yeah. 
Yeah, agreed. That's that's basically it. Uh, Destraga says, thoughts on Pugna 4 item build? Probably pretty good. That hero's broken, honestly. Fuck Pugna. That hero's insane. Item build? Uh, probably similar uh, to core, honestly. Probably head, probably headdress. Um, yeah, probably just ether lens, Yules, that sort of shit. Maybe Athos. I don't know. What's a broken item? Greaves is probably okay. Well, you. I don't know if Greaves is that good actually. Yeah, I, Definitely, I do. I do ether lens yeah. glimmer. I do really like the um, the ether lens and like you go arcane boots into ether lens into tranquil boots and then you can like refill your cores. And then also regen because you have tranquil boots. Um, that's really nice. But yeah, then just either build damage or team items, depending. Kind of like every other four. Yeah, I would I would say it's it's very very similar to core, except with without the damage items. Like I don't think you would go like Dagon or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, probably not. On Pugna four. Basically the same without the damage items. That hero's broken though. hundred percent play Pugna four. Go for it if you like it. Uh, Crave says I played in a minor German tournament with Stormstormer in my team this week. Uh, and I want to ask a question about something he told me to do in the game. We drafted Timber for me in the first pick phase, and the enemy team countered me pretty hard with SF Batrider uh, support, and he told me to just go solo safe lane and that the counter basically would not apply this hard if I do that. Uh, it worked, but I haven't really understood why that's the case. I've noticed that Nigma has been aggro tri-laning as, as well with mind control being left to solo safe lane in a lot of games is the new big thing. Uh, the reason that the counter doesn't well, okay, number one, I in my opinion, timber doesn't really get countered by anything. Actually, like, look at his look at his timber chain. It's actually an insane ability. I I, th I think it's one of the most underrated abilities in all of Dota. It's sixty mana for one hundred pure damage on a four second cooldown. Four like. That is an absurd amount of damage. You can actually just get mangoes and spam timber chain uh, chain on people, and you know four timber chains and it's four hundred damage. Excuse me, how do people survive that? And it's a four second cooldown, so you can do that in sixteen seconds and take take four hundred damage out of their HP. It's nuts. So I, I really think that just you know changing up the build on timber means he doesn't get countered by anything. As long as you're like you know against Batrider, you max timber chain for example. You don't go for you don't go for many points in the reactive. Maybe maybe two points and go max timber chain. Maybe you go uh, one three one something like that. Um, but the reason that solo safe laning is like you just don't get countered is because you get levels, right? The first uh, couple of creep waves are right in front of the tower, so you get levels, and then you can pull the lane back using the easy camp. And uh, it's really hard for them to like dive you in that in that lane. Like it's not there's not a, as much distance for them to like really pressure you. So you get a few free items, and all of a sudden when you're ahead, these counters don't really matter anywhere near as much. Um, yeah, that's that's it, it, a lot of heroes like are also uncounterable when played in the off lane. Like I personally think, I personally think as Timbersaw, you don't need to go do that either. Like you can play in the off lane and just go double stack the creep wave. Like how are they going to stop you from doing that? They're, they can't. That's not possible. Like I really think it's just a Timbersaw thing. I I think I think if you're a good enough Timber, you just don't get countered in any game. They can pick ten counters to you. It doesn't matter. You just double stack creep wave, go solo safe lane, max Timber chain. How are they going to kill you? You're doing two million damage and just chain away like. You're like Queen of Pain. I don't know, but um, yeah. Uh, is this is this mind control being left in the solo safe lane the ne the next big thing? Uh, I think probably not. I People have been doing not. this for a long time. Agro try always has a place in the meta because sometimes it's just better to have your carry be the pressure hero because it's just a better hero at pressuring a carry with supports or something like that. You know, like 
if uh, if a hero like Sven or something were to come back into the meta, and Grimstroke was still relevant, and I don't know, Earth Spirit was also still relevant, I would say that Sven, Earth Spirit, Grimstroke sounds like it can beat basically any lane. So why not run that at the anti mage and let the centaur or whoever would have an okay lane against the anti mage go get free farm in the other lane, and that way yeah. you maximize your impact. Right. Right. Just those first two creep waves right in front of your tower in the safe lane. It's nuts. Like, if you're solo, you just get level two on the first wave. Yep. That's that's nutty. It's insane. Uh, Jastraga says also Wind Ranger 4. Uh, Fevy plays with Meteor Hammer. I think Wind Ranger 4 is griefing. Um, I'm just, I'm just going to say that. I, th I, th I, think, I think Wind Ranger is a dog shit hero. I think Fevy plays some crazy shit, basically. Yeah. But I think, I think if the hero is going to come into the meta, it's going to be with something weird like a, a Meteor Hammer. It's not going to be with javelin especially now the javelin is dog shit and like this maelstrom basically playing i'm a carry but i don't want the pressure of having to get last hits and then carrying the game yep that's awful that's awful uh she's so useless in the lane is the problem so i yeah i think febby's febby's an interesting character and i think a lot of pros like try shit i think pugnafor is good i think pugnafor is actually quite good you know you could put the ward down it's really annoying and the hero is you know you can you can you can do annoying shit as Pugna Four for sure, uh, but with Wind Ranger it feels like there's not a hero against you. Uh, SDFS especially with headdress. SDFS twenty five says, are there any plans to rework the Patreon tier list? Currently the twenty four tier uh, dollar tier benefit being a, uh, able to add you as friends isn't all that enticing because being nice people we won't ask many questions to bother me. That's actually true. Nobody nobody messages me. It's yeah. crazy. It's it's like it, like I said, it's just Hockeyliner <laughs> and like uh, a couple. A couple of other people occasionally so we probably should have reworked that yeah i think we definitely can work on our patreon you and i should definitely brainstorm this week and see if we can we should come yeah. up with some better stuff because i think that our, our replay review and our questions tiers are fucking killing it for sure and people yeah, like they're slamming lot. they're slamming hard that's it that's all the questions all right well that concludes alchemy answers episode 74 thank you for sticking with us, guys. We really appreciate it. Um, Jenkins, if there's one piece of advice you could give to everybody listening or watching this right now to make them enjoy Dota more, what would it be? Don't change who you are to play the game better. Change the game for yourself. <laughs>